Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. The Fed says it will keep stimulus flowing until the U.S. job market gets back on its feet. How are markets reacting to messages about the economy and interest rates signaled by Jay Powell? Cathay Pacific shares initially soared on news of a five billion U.S. dollar bailout. They jumped more than 18 percent, but then quickly gave back gains and then some. Cathay Pacific shares finished down one percent yesterday. What's going on there? And the big bet against the Hong Kong dollar peg. What's behind that? Who are the potential winners? We read markets this morning with the help of Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. Arun, good morning. How are you? I'm very good, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing very well. Let's start with big news of the day, the press conference, and that line that I will be discussing for for hours. Jerome Powell (laughs) not thinking about thinking of raising interest rates. So he says... (laughs) Oh, the Fed is going to use tools to support maximum employment. Gotta love his use of language. Uh, the U.S. is seeing second wave of infections, though, after state reopening. So, first up, what do you make of Jay Powell's assessment of there being a long road to recovery? Right. So, he definitely gave quite the grim outlook for the U.S., uh, not just in 2020, but he actually laid out a roadmap where even a couple of years from now, unemployment will still be at, you know, it, it'll only improve by like about half. So we're still going to see an unemployment of 5.5%. And he was the first to admit that the future is extremely cloudy. It's extremely uncertain. And the only thing in his control, which are, I mean, while he has a whole host of levers uh, under his control, interest rates is the most important one of them. And he's basically said outright that he will be keeping it close to zero for the foreseeable future, until 2022, in fact. So with that, you know, it gives a very clear indication that let the markets behave, the markets want to behave on a daily, hourly, even minute by minute basis. Mm. From his perspective, what he is seeing in the real economy, he's definitely quite concerned about it. And he wants to ensure that the Fed can do all it can to try and ensure the longer term uh, survival and ability for the U.S. economy to recover. The Fed doesn't control inflation, though. As an investor, does that worry you? So it's a really interesting topic, right? And we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks back, too. It's um, If you had asked me 10 years ago, or I would say like 13 years ago, right? Like right when I joined uh, investment banking, first job out of my uh, university. And if anyone had mentioned at that point of time that the U.S. budget deficit is going to be more than doubled, uh, there will be... Uh, like tens of billions of uh, tens of a trillion dollars of bonds that are negative interest rates. Every central bank across the world is printing money, and yet we're not seeing inflation. Thirty-year U.S. interest rates are down at like under four percent. It would be bewildering. It just doesn't like economics one hundred and one teaches you when you in, when you print so much capital, so much cash, inflation is bound to rise. But we've not seen that, leave alone even the COVID situation, right? Even post-Lehman bankruptcy times, we had not seen any kind of inflation spike up. And so with that, I think the U.S. at least has this massive benefit where it's an extremely developed economy. It's the reserve currency of the world. Inflation is nowhere to be seen. 
and hence they can go about continuing what they're doing, i.e. printing capital. The problem, though, is, uh, A, exactly like what you were asking, when will inflation, if inflation at all, will come back into the picture, what will happen then? And that's going to be quite the disaster, right? Because then the Fed, uh, based on its principles of ensuring that inflation is kept under check also, uh, it will have to start raising interest rates. The problem also is, to me, one of the bigger problems is uh, your developing or underdeveloped countries where they do not have that freedom of being able to issue billions of dollars of bonds and trying to monetize that debt. You know, like Mm -hmm. Indonesia is doing it, uh, Brazil is doing it, every, uh, you know, developing country, underdeveloped country across the world, Mm -hmm. they have to do it because they have to take care of their citizens. But how will that eventually lead to whether investors are willing to buy that paper at relatively low interest rates, that will, uh, is yet to be seen. How do you think markets are reacting to Jay Powell's remarks? Surprisingly, given that interest rates were going to be kept close to zero, I would have expected quite a bit more of a rally because that's the punch bowl, right? Like every single uh, equity investor, uh, at least, was is really hoping for interest rates to stay basically zero for the foreseeable future. Uh, Capital, you know, it won't go to cash because cash is basically giving you 0%. Fixed income is extremely inflated already. Uh, It'll be tough to go into that. And for the only asset class that's left is equity. But then we're seeing this really interesting divide in the U.S., uh, at least in the U.S. equity markets, where it's a bit of a push and pull between either tech stocks which is the whole, uh, the pandemic is going to worsen and hence technology is going to rule over the world. Something that even, that was continuing even before the COVID situation versus the real economy. And, uh, yesterday post, uh, the Fed's note, I think it was interesting to see where investors realized that, you know, the Fed is definitely seeing a whole bunch of data points wherein the real economy is not improving uh, remotely close to what the markets were saying for the past couple of weeks. And hence, let's take some chips off the table. So we saw uh, the real economy stocks, you know, be it airlines, be it uh, uh, cruise companies, uh, oil companies, uh, they all took quite a massive beating, but uh, technology companies like Apple, Amazon, and obviously the darling retail uh, stock Tesla uh, shot up quite a bit. Yeah, that would explain the the two different headlines, right? Nasdaq closing above 10,000 for the first time ever, and then Wall Street Dow futures trading down a further 200 points. It's, it's you know, like investors will always, uh, while uh, there is a lot more relatively short-sightedness going on in the market right now, in the U.S. at least, I personally feel, with the whole advent of a number of retail investors. And it, it kind of takes me back to, what China was dealing with like about a couple of years ago, where you had a massive number of retail investors taking leveraged margin positions, uh, primarily going long in stocks. And, uh, you know, like let's take an example of uh, this ETF called JET. It was an ETF in the U.S. that had an assets under management of $35 million, give or take. Mm -hmm. Uh, This JET ETF provides exposure to uh, U.S. airlines. And in the short span of like three months, the uh, AUM went from $35 million to over $1 billion. 
which is remarkable when you're not a single, like the, the capacity of airlines is currently they're running at like five or 6%. Admittedly, US airlines might be doing a little bit better, but the, 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 the sheer number and velocity with which retail investors I feel have come into the US markets and have pumped in tremendous amounts of money we're seeing a lot more volatility, very similar to China markets a couple of years back, like I was saying. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it really depends uh, as we keep evolving into the future, how and where, how impressively or how well will companies be able to handle this COVID pandemic? Will corporate spending come back in line? Will unemployment continue to improve as mm. per last month NFP numbers? And will the real economy, will true top-line revenue and hence bottom-line actually improve, mm. or is this just a Fed-funded uh, bubble? I love the example. Uh, I had to look it up. The airline ETF you mentioned, I think, surged 67% in three weeks, at least U.S. Global Jets ETF did. Um, do you think, I think retail investors are looking for a way to bet on airline recovery. Uh, do you think, you know, this ETF, for example, is is a bad way to bet on that? It's not a bad way to bet on it, especially if you, you know, if you don't have uh, a sizable amount of money, why would you bother to get into the individual bid ask of airlines, mm. right? Warren Buffett, I think he invested like seven or eight billion dollars or he had invested that much money. And obviously for a person of that kind of asset base, you will invest into individual airlines that you think are uh, the whose underlying share price is going to appreciate. For a traditional retail investor, ETFs are a brilliant invention, right? Because it gives you diversified access to a number of the underlying stocks within that ETF. Mm. If the question is whether jet ETF specifically is interesting or not for retail investors, I think that's a lot more of a nuanced play because when you start taking like very specific sector risks, sure, as a percentage of your portfolio, rather than investing into say, for a rather than invest, if the if the question is, should I invest five percent of my portfolio into Delta as a very typical retail investor, and you know start investing into like other single name stocks, it might be more prudent from the perspective of diversification for uh, traditional retail investors to start going into ETFs into the sectors that they uh, are, are uh, think fondly of. So if they want exposure into airlines, absolutely go into Jet ETF. These are the single name airline stock. That way it makes a lot of sense. Taking massive leveraged concentrated funds on ETFs, unless it's something very diversified like the S&P 500 or larger uh, ETFs uh, in its names in the ETF space, might be, uh, you know, you might be deluding yourself to thinking that you're reducing risk just by investing into an ETF, mm. but there might be a lot of concentrated sector risk still uh, prevalent there. All right. Well, speaking of big bets, Arun, we have to talk about Kyle Bass. Uh, he was really prescient against subprime mortgages before the 2008 financial crisis. And now Bass is launching a new fund. Uh, he is creating a high-risk bet that Hong Kong's currency will break free of its peg to the U.S. dollar. Audacious. Um, let's see. If the currency is still pegged to the U.S. dollar after 18 months, Kyle Bass's investors stand to lose everything. 
Gosh, the Heyman Hong Kong <laughs> Opportunities Fund was due to launch June 1st. It could see a 64% 64-fold return if the currency declines by 40%. Impressive figures. How likely is this outcome? So, I've been following Kyle Bass for a while. Really? Uh, purely uh-huh. to get purely to get a contrarian view or a negative view of the market. Right? Like him and Talib uh, have been bearish the market since day one, basically, right? And Kyle Bass has come out, sure, he called the housing crisis correctly. In terms of being negative China, Kyle Bass has been absolutely bearish for a number of years right now. And that's obviously proven uh, quite disastrous uh, if you were chosen to follow him. When it comes to specific uh, investment theses like this, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense for the fund manager if they have the kind of fan following that Kyle Bass, uh, Talib, uh, Dr. Doomsday, etc. these extremely bearish guys. Sure, it makes a lot of sense from their own individual perspective to start to launch a fund, have these massive headlines that says, you know, you can earn 64x returns uh, if the currency, uh, as you were saying, like if the currency depreciates by 40%. Uh, or, of course, you can lose all your money. Hence, from an investor's perspective, oh, if you're going to be investing, say, uh, and these are obviously institutional investors, right? Looking to invest $200 million, $500 million, a billion dollars. Why don't you take $20 million and just park it into this fund? This guy has locked in your capital for two years, charging 2%, taking a performance fee of 15%, which actually rises to 20% if the returns of the portfolio are more than a certain percentage. What I'm surprised about, though, is a typical investor, at least in the institutional level, can relatively easily uh, replicate the positions that he's going to take through uh, quite vanilla options in the FX uh, OTC market. Now, while that might not be applicable to retail investors, Mm. though that being said, there are uh, a couple of platforms uh, that do provide access to even retail investors, not that I'm encouraging it, but... Uh, from the perspective of these institutional investors, I don't quite get it. But anyways, that, that was sorry for my rant for a couple of minutes <laughs> about uh, the unfair uh, advantages that some uh, money managers have and they're trying to milk it. Coming back to the interesting question of uh, whether the Hong Kong uh, Fed can break or not. My personal take is I think it will be so damaging to the Hong Kong market that not just HKMA, but if push comes to shove, uh, China will uh, step in and get involved over there. And that's something that even HKMA have been saying, that if it really comes to that, then China will get involved. What's been happening right now? The Hong Kong uh, dollar, the currency, is pegged to the US dollar between a range of 7.75 to 7.85. U.S. interest rates are at zero and are going to be at zero for the next at least a couple of years. Hong Kong, on the other hand, is providing on the Hong Kong dollar as an investor. You can just park money in that currency and you are able to achieve uh, a higher, substantially higher interest rate from zero. Uh, On the other hand, there is obviously a lot of rumors, uh, you know, regarding uh, China, China, completely overtaking or uh, acquiring, dare I say, Hong Kong. A lot of rumors of a lot of capital 
leaving the country because they do not want Chinese oversight, which even potentially uh, Singapore can benefit from. But in terms of numbers, we're not actually seeing that, right? Because local deposits have actually climbed. Uh, property, which is obviously a massive uh, sector in Hong Kong, uh, house prices have only gone down by about 5%, which is nothing when you look at it in the slightly more longer term or bigger spectrum where Hong Kong property prices were the world's most expensive. So until this point of time, we are really not seeing any stress in the Hong Kong currency. And uh, if anything, the currency is actually at the lower end of the brand at 7.75 because of the amount of money that's actually being put into uh, the Hong Kong economy right now, leading HKMA to actually sell Hong Kong dollars and buy US dollars in the open market. And they were doing that today morning too. Coming to macro fund managers, um, a number of them a, are not allowed to take exposure into the Hong Kong peg because a number of famous people, even the person who famously broke the Bank of England, mm. uh, George Soros, even he has uh, lost tremendous amounts of money over here and he stopped speculating on it. That being said, though, from the perspective of getting uh, outsized returns for a very uh, cheap uh, capital outlay, mm. Uh, and the rationale for that is because volatility is so low, or at least it was so low until a couple of months back uh, in the Hong Kong dollar, you could actually you know, buy options and sell dollar Hong Kong put options. You could do a combination of put options that, led, that can lead an investor to get outsized returns. And let's admit it, right? There's a lot of greed going on in the market right now. Indeed. So you're checking someone here or 64x returns. Oh, let me pump in a bunch of money. <laughs> and retail investors want to get in on that position as well. So, Of course. <laughs> All right. Still on Hong Kong. Uh, Cathay Pacific shares ended lower after surging the most since 2008 in pre-market trading on news, of course, of a government-backed rescue plan. Credit Suisse Group has downgraded the stock uh, to the equivalent of sell. Daiwa Securities also lowered Cathay Pacific Airways ratings to sell, saying that minority shareholders will be diluted by Cathay's issuance plan. I'm checking the stock price now, currently trading at $8.94 Hong Kong dollars. Uh, what do you think of the rescue plan? What do you make of Cathay Pacific? Right. So Hong Kong, regardless of, you know, uh, the protesters, uh, China, you name it, it's still aspiring or it is, and it's aspiring to continue to remain a massive international hub, be it for conferences, uh, for business, you name it. And if that is the case, having your flagship airline is a lot of a prestige symbol. And dare I say, it might even be required to ensure that you have a little bit more control over your destiny to ensure that you can bring uh, visitors and business people uh, from their jurisdiction uh, into your borders. The problem, though, is, as in a lot of investment bank reports that have come out recently, uh, have rightly said that your typical investor will get diluted by close to something like 50%. But this is something that was essential, right? Because your monthly cash burn at Cathay was something like three billion, two and a half to three billion Hong Kong dollars a month. Mm. So a raise of it was close to I think like forty billion Hong Kong dollars. It pushes the can down the road, hopefully far enough to see the underlying demand come back into the market. But the bottom line or the fundamental issue is. Uh, as long as Hong Kong and China can open its borders to each other, 
without having a lot of these 14-day quarantine checks and hoping that uh, the local Chinese people are able or are willing to actually travel to Hong Kong and there's not that much hatred on both sides of the border to try and encourage, be it uh, tourism or be it business, hopefully, uh, you know, you can see travel rebound. But Cathay Pacific specifically has a lot to do with international borders, international travel, and not China by that. I mean by like US, Australia, Singapore. And when will that come back is literally anyone's uh, guess. Because given the nature of this COVID pandemic, given the recent spike in secondary cases in the last week or two weeks, it I personally feel uh, it will be a lot easier for a country to close borders to international visitors than your domestic uh, audience, right? So if you're New Zealand, which is now officially uh, zero uh, coronavirus cases, or if you're, say, the U.S., or internally within China. Uh, India is obviously going through a complete mess right now, but hopefully in a couple of months if India can recover, you have a massive domestic base of uh, passengers to try and stimulate demand again. But, uh, you know, a, a government, a local a, a government of a country will be crucified if, uh, you know, 20 tourists came from India or China into Singapore borders and they had a massive spread of the COVID pandemic. It, it just will not look good uh, to its local uh, population. And that's something to be concerned about for Cathay uh, and for Singapore Airlines for that matter, where when you're so reliant on international travel and you have a complete inability to gauge what the future will be like, the only thing you can do is dilute your shareholders raise equity capital, uh, because debt is going to be expensive, not just in the short term, but in the long term too, and uh, just hope for the best. Sound reasoning on economics as always. Such a pleasure speaking with you, Arun. Thank you for joining us. My absolute pleasure, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. He's Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, helping us make sense about what markets are talking about this Thursday. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.